Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. I hope you do love the church because did you know that church, the local church, is God's plan to grow the kingdom? The local church is God's plan. It's actually his priority A. There is no plan B. It's the local church. And I know there are people that have different thoughts on that or they try to create a, uh, even a biblical thought on that. But can I just let you know real quickly, it's God's plan, it's his idea, there's no other plan. Uh, matter of fact, how many of you love the Bible? Raise your hand if you love the Bible. Okay, it's not a trick question. We all love the Bible. There's 27 books in the Bible that all deal with a local church. Matter of fact, if you look at the Gospels, the first four is the promised Messiah, the head of the church, and talking concerning it. And then when you jump right into the guts of it, he says this in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. And then he says he came to what? To establish ritual, religion? No, to seek and to save. Come on, say it with me. To seek and to save the what? The lost. His goal is to do so. Then when you get to the book of Acts, you see that he changed from the people of God to the church. The, the terminology transition. And for 28 chapters, what did they do? They established local churches. And how many of you love the Bible again? Raise your hand. That's why we should be passionate about the local church. Then you look at the next nine books in the New Testament. It's all the churches. Every one of those books are written to the local church. And then you look at the next four books, they're written to seminary students of the local church. You look at the book of Hebrews, it's to the old church, learning about the new covenant of the new church in Jesus' name. And then you continue to see, as you get to the end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, it starts with what? Seven letters to seven churches. It's about the church. God loves the church. It's about the local church. The church is what is the train, the avenue that's going to grow the kingdom. It's what is uh, God's plan through Jesus Christ shed blood to build the kingdom of God. It is through the local church. Yes, you are the church, big C, but the bride of Christ is individual bodies locally doing great things for the cause of Christ. And I just want to say this. If you're not serving, you're swerving. You need to be jumping in, serving the local church, plugging into it. It is the hope of the world. And if you love this church and it's wonderful pastors, put your hands together and let's celebrate what God's doing here. It's all about the local church. There was a point in your life where you accepted Christ, you were radical for the things of God. You remember it, don't you? March of 1981, for me, I was nine years old. I remember the first response, and I know this sounds extra spiritual, but it's a true story. My first response was, I wanted to invite my best friend, Jamie, to church. That was my response. Do you remember when you were wowed by God? Do you remember the day you were in a local church? How many of you were saved because of the local church? Raise your hand. How many of you are married to somebody because of the local church? You met them in the local church. Hallelujah. How many met your wife at a strip club? Okay, yeah, put your hands down. Let me just say, no. Listen, if you stay focused on the... You're going to battle. And I can tell you right now, where we stand right now, we are in a battle like we've never been before for the hope of the local church. We're one generation away from losing this thing. And if you don't believe it, travel to Europe and look at some of the greatest churches ever built that are museums today. 
And we've got to war. We've got to be, still be wild. We've got to be passionate about the things of God so we can experience God's presence and his power. And the way you do that is this. When you want a heart for the kingdom of God, you bring the kingdom of God into your home. Period. You can't have a heart for God's kingdom if God's kingdom is not in the heart of your life and that's your home. And personally within your own life. And you remember a time when you were passionate. You remember a time when you were telling people. You remember a time when you couldn't wait to get there. You remember a time you were serving in the student ministry. You remember a time when you couldn't wait to give a little bit more. You remember a time when you were ready to go on mission. You remember a time when you used to pray with your wife. You remember a time when you used to be challenged to challenge your kids to do more than their algebra but make sure they're having a quiet time every day. What happened is this. And what's happened in the church, I believe, at large, is we love God in an intangible way. When it comes to the intangible things of God, we're the most passionate people ever. How many of you believe the Word of God is written by God Almighty? Raise your hand. How many of you believe God created the world? How many of you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? Do you realize what you just raised your hand to? That Mary never had sex and had a child. You're just like, no trouble. You're like, virgin birth, I'm in. How many of you believe Jesus is your savior? And because of his shed blood, you're going to heaven and resurrection. You're going to heaven when you die. You believe that? How many of you have ever met Jesus? No one has. And if your hand is raised, there's counseling later today. You experience his presence, his power. We're passionate about the intangibles. But when it comes to the tangibles, sometimes God's nowhere around. Do you pray with your wife as Ephesians 5.25 teaches men? Do you pray with her as the scripture says, washing her with the word? Do you pray with your kids? Do you pastor your home? Are you the house band? You told me you believe in the virgin birth, but you don't tithe? Are you serious? You're like, hey, virgin birth, I'm all in, but don't touch my money. Matter of fact, uh, uh, tithing is not even biblical. Are you serious? Who came up with that? Who makes this stuff up? Any way we can distance ourselves from the tangible things of God and focus on the intangibles, that's why so many people want the Ten Commandments back in schools. They want the intangibles. They want the, most people can't even quote the Ten Commandments. People are passionate about prayer in schools. You don't even pray with your kid at home. Why would you want prayer in schools if it's not happening in your home? You're like, oh, we got to get prayer back in school. Do you even pray with your kids? Did you even pray over that stuffing? Did you pray over it? And why are we cramming that up a turkey anyway? I have no idea. I'm just saying. It's crazy what we're passionate about. And yet it doesn't move into our heart. If you want a heart for the kingdom, be passionate about the virgin birth. Yes, those doctrines are true. The word of God is so important. We believe the word of God's written by God and most of us, not all of us, most of us haven't even read it in seven days. Most of us don't even know Habakkuk's in the Bible. And I'm talking about the Bible belt. I know you don't think you're in the Bible belt. I truly believe Grand Rapids is the belt. I do. And the whole rest of us in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's a whole nother story. What happened? 
What happened where you don't even pray over your meal in a public restaurant? And you're like, don't be legalistic. I'm not being legalistic. I'm just saying, when Jesus gets a hold of you, you can't help it. You can't help it. I mean, I thank God the other day that I got a TV on sale. It was $599, 150 off. I said, hallelujah. My 20-year-old son was like, dad, why? I was like, because this is a gift from God. $150 off, hallelujah. I make out with my wife sometimes and pray afterwards. I'm a weirdo. I'm just saying what happened where we say we're so passionate about God and he affects nothing in our tangible lives. Coming to church is so important, but don't come to church to check it off. Come to church so you can build the kingdom so your neighborhood will show up here. And I can tell you right now, there's not a church in America that I know of. And I, I am a part of churches. I, I'm blessed to speak at all kinds of conferences. I have churches. I've been a part of networks. I've seen large churches with lots of campuses. There is no church that I know of that is planted in impacting more churches and handing influence, handing money, handing church buildings off more than Pastor Dwayne and Rez Life. There is no church in America. You better clap because it's true. I talk today, today. I talked to Jared Smith, affected by Rez Life. I talked to Clint Sprague, affected by Rez Life. Matt Jones, affected by Rez Life. The story can go on and on. These are pastors I know making a difference for the cause of Christ. Because of this church. So let's get passionate about it. Imagine what happened if we all started praying over our meals. I pray over. I'm like, Lord Jesus, bless this meal. Let this prayer impact somebody that's in this restaurant. Imagine what would happen. People are desperate for it. Let it touch the tangible. And don't even get me started on our social media devices. I mean, we'd rather bash some troll that's not even real on Twitter than we would share the gospel with somebody or share our quiet time on our social media. And then we put stuff like this that I think is so stupid. And stupid is not a good word. Don't use it. I just know they'll put, so I have a silent prayer request. What is that? You're expecting nothing by saying nothing. And when you put it on social media, I usually think you're mad at your spouse. That's what I think. There you go, silent prayer request. I'm like, oh, she hates her husband. And he's like, I got a silent prayer request. Oh, he hates his wife. You know what I mean? That's just like, yeah, we all know it's manipulative. I'm just saying, if the tangible things of God got in your life, listen, $3 million, $500,000 would be nothing for this church. Nothing. But you've justified the Bank of America mortgage than, more than you have or the car payment and said, God knows my heart as a justification. And here's the thing. It's not about money. It's about reaching the world for the cause of Christ. Reaching the world. You remember when you were wild? You remember you used to witness? Not this church only, but most churches, 94% of most church attenders have never shared the gospel with someone personally. I'm going to say that again, 94% have never sat down and said, hey, if you were to die right now, are you certain that you'd go to heaven? What would Jesus say to you if you were standing before him? When's the last time you led someone to Christ? Led them through the sinner's prayer. Nothing wrong with bringing them here. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying, let's go next level. Let's let the tangible things of God touch the tangible areas of our lives. Let's let our kids know that their quiet time's more important than their chemistry homework. 
Let's let our kids know that purity is more important than making sure you're the certain type of person and with the certain type of people. Imagine what would happen. How does this happen? Well, I can tell you how it doesn't happen is when you decide I'm just gonna go one degree off of where the mission and the vision and the call of God's word is. You decide I'm just not gonna go to church. I'm just not gonna give. I'm just not gonna serve. As soon as you do just a little off the degree, you're on mission drift. You lose your heart for the kingdom. One degree. I'll never forget, uh, I fly a little bit here or there with, uh, uh, between our campuses due to the, the rule setting that we're in. And I remember one time I was just talking to Austin, my pilot, and, and he got one degree off. We ended up in a place called Elkins, Arkansas. Nowhere even near any of the campuses I'm supposed to be at. I was like, is this a prophetic mission? We're supposed to start a church here because I'm gonna be late. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. He goes, man, I just wasn't even paying attention. Same thing happens with you. You're like, your marriage is excited about the things of God and then you just take a one degree turn. You're like, you know what? I'm just gonna message that person, my old friend on Facebook. You know, it's no big deal. It's in. And then all of a sudden you just drift, drift, drift. It's called mission drift. You know, I used to share my faith. I used to pray. I used to serve in the kids' area. I used to be on mission. I used to give to Hartford. I used to do this, but I'm going to decide. And all of a sudden, drift, 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 drift. And you lose the heart for the mission. I want to share a mission statement from a leading Christian university. This is the mission, their mission statement. It says to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and the studies of your life is to know God Almighty in Jesus Christ our Lord. That university's Harvard University. That was their mission statement 80 years ago. Just 80 years ago. Some of you are close to 80. This is, that's a time frame you understand. What happened? One degree. And they're all, same thing could happen in the church. Same thing could happen in your marriage. Same thing could happen with your kids. This generation is more desperate for truth than ever. And guess where the truth is taught? The, the word of God is taught at the local church. And the local church inspires you to bring the church in your home. Don't get caught up in mission drift. They used to say at Harvard, their, their motto, and they'd say it to each other was lux et veritas, lux et veritas, which simply means in Latin, light and truth, light and truth, light and truth. We're all about light for Jesus and the truth of the gospel, light and truth, light. What happened? Mission drift. And that's what happens when we just say, oh, I don't have to serve. God knows my heart why I don't give. Here's why I don't pray with my wife. Here's why my kids are, you know, the, here's the thing. It's mission drift. It just, just a little bit. And the next thing you know, you're like, what happened? And it's so much easier to blame it on government, politics, the weather, instead of looking at your own heart and its passion for the kingdom. I'll read another mission statement from a leading Christian organization. Our mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and him without discrimination, period. That's the mission statement of the Salvation Army. And now the Salvation Army, all you know is some ringers at Hobby Lobby that you avoid like the plague. I don't mean to, it's just, I just do. Like, hey, <laughs> yeah. The thing is about it, they were focused on one thing and that's leading people to Jesus Christ and now they're about a different type of charitable mission. 
Not saying what all they're doing is wrong. I'm just saying their organization is not as biblically based as it once was. There's another organization that was founded by Dwight L. Moody. Actually, just to let you know about the Salvation Army, William Booth founded it in four months. He led 61,000 people to Christ in a period of four years, over 220,000 people to Christ personally. And his goal was to to start an army of people who came to know Christ to share the gospel period. Now they're just ringing a bell at Hobby Lobby. Dwight L. Moody started an organization called the YMCA. When's the last time you thought about taking your kids to the Y and learn more about Jesus? When you hear YMCA, what do you think? You think about that video you made on that cruise ship on 80s night. <laughs> yeah, that's what you think. You're like, oh, that was a bad night. Isn't that crazy? crazy? The place in 1904 where Evan Roberts saw the Welsh revival break out, the church is a museum now. Mission drift, one degree. How do we avoid it? How do we stay wild? How do we have a heart for the kingdom? How do we get passionate about the things of God? And here's the thing, the people closest to you know if you have it. They already know. Your wife knows if you're praying with her, men. Your kids know if they're getting prayed over. Voice prayed over. Oh, I pray for y'all every day. When you speak it over them, it changes the game. It changes the game. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm trying to ratchet it up a notch. Because I promise you, we're one generation away. One generation away. And I just want to say again that the church is God's plan A. God's plan A. And if you believe in the virgin birth, you should have no problem with the tithe. None. If you believe Jesus Christ was a man who lived, died, yet he was also God, shed his blood so that you could go to heaven and not spend eternity in hell, you should have no problem with giving over and above. It's just crazy to me. That you believe these huge doctrinal truths that God created the world and holds all the water in the palm of his hand, 340 quintillion gallons of water approximately, measures the universe like this, can count all the hairs on your head, but you won't give him 10%. Crazy stuff. That's crazy to me. You're like, well, the tithe's the law. The tithe came way before the law was ever written. And Jesus preached on the tithe. The New Testament church said this, give everything you have and give it to the church. Stick with the tithe. I'm just saying. We will take your deed to your home, I'm sure, here at the Res Live, but I'm just saying, why don't you just try tithing? How do we stay on point? How do we stay on mission? Jesus gave it to you, and I'm going to give it to you in 18 minutes and 31 seconds. It's in Matthew chapter five. This is how you will keep from mission drift. This is how you move the tangible things of God the true tangible areas of your life become tangible with who God is in Matthew chapter five. Why? Because they're called the be attitudes. They change your attitude. They change the being of your attitude, which I think attitude's so important. Our attitude, Philippians chapter two and verse 15 says, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's a good attitude. I just don't believe that you can be somebody who's emotionally immature and claim to be spiritually mature. I don't think it's possible. I mean, you can't be drama mama and you can't be drama daddy and be 
say that you're spiritually mature. Why? Because you will have a being attitude of who Jesus is. He says, I want this to affect every area of your life. Jesus. How many of you believe Jesus should affect every area of our life? Raise our hands. Let him. And just because he's not now doesn't mean he can't. It's okay to start over today. We can start with the right attitude right now. If you believe that, say amen. So I don't care if you're not praying with your spouse. We're going to start today. I don't care if you're not tithing. We're going to start today. Don't try to have a heart for the kingdom until you have a heart for your own wallet and have God's heart in it. It changes everything. So let's get God's attitude. How do you do it? Matthew chapter five and verse number three. Here's what the scripture says. Jesus says this. He said, blessed. I'm going to hit pause. Here's what the word blessed means. Literally in the Greek, it means the best. It translates this word high on the hog. In other words, the most expensive part of the meat. They used to do transactions with meat. They used to do transactions with certain types of fat and oil. That was high currency back then. This word blessed means literally, it means high on the hog. If you're into pork tenderloin, that's what it's all about right there. If you're into beef tenderloin, that's what it is. It's the most expensive, which is what I smoke for Thanksgiving because turkey is average. And so I smoked a big old beef tenderloin in Jesus' name. Why? Because I am not vegan and I think it's biblical to be a meat eater in Jesus' name. <laughs> now I know what you're saying. It's like, that's weird. Why is he even saying that? Here's why, because Noah got off the ark. You know what the first thing Jesus told him when he get off the ark? What Noah did? He said this, eat meat. Hallelujah. Read it. It's in the Bible, bless God. What's crazy is they try to steal our meat and steal our rainbow. I got a whole series on that. And I ain't touching it with a 10-foot pole. I got a clap on that. Hallelujah, Tithe. Eat meat, rainbows. Hallelujah. Woo-hoo. It's crazy, isn't it? It is important, though. Would that be a great series? Don't steal my meat. Don't steal my rainbow. Somebody get that. There won't be a soul show up. Either way, I'm preaching still. Blessed. High on the hog. Here's what scripture says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness for they will see the kingdom of heaven. Let me break those down for you. Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? I'm going to be bankrupt of myself. The reason you struggle in your marriage is because you claim your rights instead of your responsibilities. Focus on your responsibility, not your right. You have a hot marriage. Red hot. Make out hot. Radical, radical worship, which is sex. Thank God for it. Because if God created it and we're participating in it in a biblical form, it's worship. Amen? How many believe God created sex? Raise your hand inside the marriage bed. Okay, just making sure because I'm getting some weird faces out there. And I don't want to disobey God. That's what I tell my wife. I mean, God made it. I don't want to disobey him. I know some people are uncomfortable when I talk about stuff like that. But can I tell you something? You're 9, 10, 11 year old or seeing it on TikTok. We better be teaching it in the church in the marriage bed. Oh, I got another clap. Uh-oh. You know what I did with my kids growing up? And I even do it now if I still pay their cell phone. Somehow I still am. 
I say, I'll pay your cell phone if you'll send me a Bible verse every day. Did you get your homework done? Don't embarrass me in front of the teacher, but I don't care if you embarrass me in front of God when you know nothing about him. Don't embarrass me in front of your coach. I want you accountable there, but when we get in front of the coach of glory, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, y'all with me? Bless the poor in spirit. Become bankrupt yourself. Quit focusing on your rights. Focus on your spiritual responsibility. You win. Why? Because it says blessed are the poor in spirit. Guess what you get? Kingdom. Kingdom. I don't know if they can throw the verse back up on the screen, but look at it. It says, for theirs is the kingdom. How many of you want a heart for the kingdom? Raise your hand if you want it. Raise it anyway, even if you don't, just so it looks good. Okay, yes. Here's how you get it. Be bankrupt of yourself. The reason you'll never sow into the kingdom is because you love yourself too much. And I'm guilty. If you become bankrupt, that's what it means. Poor in spirit, poor of yourself, bankrupt of yourself. Quit thinking about you and you focus on God. It says you will receive the kingdom. Matthew 6, a chapter later says it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and what? And his righteousness and all these things will be. Come on, say it with me. And all these things will be added. How many want God addition in your life? Get involved in the kingdom. And here's the thing, just as Daniel was saying, you got a double match in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I don't know who that person is, but I'm praying they join Brent. No, I'm kidding. I'm just saying. Or persons, you've got to get on that. And there's, again, I'm going to say this. There's, I don't know of another church in America that's sowing into the kingdom like Res Life. You, I, I, you hear it all the time. Brand new church is so excited about it. We brought a check to be a part of it ourselves. I brought a check. I'm like, I'm sowing into this in Jesus' name. I want to be a part. I'm sowing up. I want to influence like the, your church has. We're in a small town of 407. We just got a Dollar General three years ago. I'm like, I want some of this. I'm sewing up. When you sew up, God pours out. Listen, the tithe opens the windows. Over and above the tithe determines how much comes out of the windows. Poor in spirit. Number two is this. Blessed are those who mourn. And I know what you're saying is like, I gotta be sad on the time. Here's what the word means. This is actually the most passionate Greek term you could possibly put here. And it means this, extremely broken over what? Your sin. If you want a heart for the kingdom, you need to be broken over your sin. It's the most intense Greek word. And then desire God's grace and favor. It's not a live as you please. In other words, you, you quit living as you please and you say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have spoken that. And the more you're broken over that, the more you'll keep a short sin account the more the Holy Spirit can be a conduit in your life to use you to change your kingdom. Because you either focus on God's kingdom or your thingdom, or your blingdom, or your cha-chingdom, right? That's what you focus on. I made that rhyme up myself. Mourn. Why? Because when you confess your sin, you recognize the forgiveness of God and God comforts you. Look at number three. It says, blessed are those who are meek. Or gentle. Another translation says humble. What happens? It says this. When you are humble. And, and by the way, humility doesn't 
think less of themselves, humility thinks of themselves less. The humble doesn't think less of themselves, they just think of themselves less. God says when you become meek, he says then I'm gonna give you territory. Now this is not metaphorical here. The scripture doesn't teach it. It's not metaphorical. It says you will inherit the earth. How many want to take territory for the kingdom of God? How many of you want territory to take territory for the kingdom of God? Larger territory personally, vocationally, with your kids. Raise your hand if you want it. Financially. Here's what God says. He says this. Humble yourself. Be meek before me. I'm giving you territory. If you believe God's word is true, say amen. It says you will inherit the earth. Inherit the earth. Blessed are those, number four, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let me just tell you right now, God's pantry is never empty in Jesus' name. Get hungry for the things of God. What makes you hungrier? Eating a lot. How many of you had a second round about six o'clock after Thanksgiving lunch? Raise your hand if you went back for seconds that night or later that afternoon. Raise your hand. If you're lying, you're coming to the altar right now. How many of you ate the turkey or whatever a second time? Raise your hand. Of course you did. And you said after Thanksgiving lunch, what did you say? What'd you say? All of you liars. What'd you say? Oh, I couldn't eat another bite, right? How many said that? I did. And then I ate up, I think twice as much as I ate at lunch. Because once you start that fire, you just want more carbs in Jesus name. I mean, I like homemade rolls, but give me some Sister Schubert Frozens in Jesus name with some honey on it and some turkey and some filet mignon. Thank you, God. And I did it again. And then after that night, about nine o'clock, I ate some desserts. I don't even know what they were. I just ate them. The reason you don't have a quiet time is because you don't have one. Reason you don't pray is because you don't pray. The reason prayer is a burden is because you don't have a burden. Once you start praying, you get hungry to pray. Once you start reading, you're like, oh, I got I to get some more of that. I like that tryptophan. I like that car brush. I like that going almost in a diabetic coma in Jesus' name because I get hungry for the things of God. You're not hungry if you're not hungry. Hunger and thirst. And the only way you get thirsty is by doing something. You've got to create thirst. You've got to create that. And when you get thirsty for the things of God, start sharing your faith. You say, I don't know how. Do this. Say, God changed my life when I was nine. How about you? Just start there. Just start there. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then God says this, I will fill you up. Fill you up with what? Right stuff, truth, goodness, love for the church. And it goes on and on and on. Let me give you a couple more quickly. Number five is this, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. How many want God's mercy on your life? Show mercy. Don't be a patootie. Can I just say it that way? Why are you such a, why are you, don't, don't do that. You're like, I'm not taking another moment from my neighbor. Just show some mercy. Don't honk at them when they're on their phone and it's the left turn lane and they've been sitting there for a few minutes. I know. Maybe show a little mercy. God says, when you show mercy, I pour it out. I pour it out on you. That's also patience. But if you want to see God move in your life, here's how you do it. You pour into heart for the kingdom, you're gonna have an opportunity to show mercy to the hurting, the lost, the dying, the sick, the needy, the hungry. Then God says, I'm gonna pour mercy on you. 
And that's the only way we're saved. The mercy seat's such a powerful picture that I don't have time to really exegete. But I can promise you, you show mercy, you're guaranteed it in return. Look at this next one. Blessed are the pure in heart. And maybe that handsome gentleman on the keyboard would just play quietly for me as we close this time together. Blessed are the pure in heart. You know what, you know what a pure heart is? A pure heart isn't saying to God, knows my heart. A pure heart is desiring to be pure. Desiring to be like God in his holiness, in his righteousness, according to his word. You need a pure heart. Here's here's what the scripture promises you. Blessed are the pure in heart. Look at this. For they will see who? Come on, say it with me. They will see God. How many of you want to see God working in your family? How many of you see God working in your marriage? You better raise your hand, husbands. How many of you see God working in your kid's life? How many of you see God leading your coworkers to Christ? How many of you see God working in your neighborhood? How many of you see God working in America? Here's how it happens. It happens through you. The pure in heart, and you're like, man, I see God at work. 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 Some people look at COVID one way. I look at it as this is God's way to get the world's attention. Let's use it to win more people to Jesus for his cause. And there's no greater pace than the local church. But if you've got an impure heart, you're always wondering whether or not someone can look at your phone. Look inside your heart. Make it pure. Make it pure. Here's the bottom line. Can I say it this way? You can't live like hell and expect heaven. Everybody's like, oh, God knows my heart. I'm going to live like hell. I'm just saying, you can't live like hell and expect to go to heaven. Like, I'm here. I mean, you need a pure heart. The reason you can't get on, the reason your mission drifts so is because your heart's not pure. And for many of you, you never trusted Christ as the boss and rescue of your life. Oh, you may have walked in, I'll pray to prayer, said something. Did. Listen, if the intangible hand of God hasn't moved into the tangible areas of your life, you need to ask yourself if you've ever made him Lord. Lordship's the key, not loveship. Is he Lord? How do you know he's Lord? You're following his word. I didn't say perfectly. I said consistently. A pure heart. And let me say something. A pure heart's hard work. Now the Holy Spirit gives you the power. Don't misunderstand me. We have the dunamis power, but you still got to make the decision. Let me give you these last two. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Who wants to be called God's kid? (laughs) Raise your hand if you want to be called God's kid. Here's how you do it. Be a peacemaker. By the way, that doesn't mean trouble, sweep it under the rug. That means I'm going to deal with conflict. I'm going to deal with it correctly and biblically. Then when you're a peacemaker, you're bringing about peace in people's hearts and their minds and life. You will be called, listen, a child of God. Whoa! That's the kind of attitude. That's the kind of attitude God wants. Unity is found. Unity is found in truth. Through peace, not diminishing biblical doctrine, biblical truth. And lastly is this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And I don't know where you're at, but I can tell you this. If you've never been persecuted for the gospel, I just would challenge you. Start being passionate about the truth and the kingdom of God. You will be persecuted. 
Now, I'm not talking about someone unfriending you on Facebook. That is not persecution. I'm talking about where you got to stand up for truth and there's no more important time on planet earth than right now to stand up for truth. The world's desperate. Get these kingdom principles in your life and the tangible hand of God will be shown in your life. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, can I just ask you to do something for me? If you know your heart is not kingdom, not where it should be, not especially where you want it to be. And there's something God's saying to you that's got to change in your home, your marriage, your life. Would you just slip your hand up real quick? God's spoken to me and I've got to make a change. Slip it up real proud. Just slip it up real quick. I see them all over the place. Thank you, Jesus. You can put them down. Now, if you just raise your hand and someone's with you that you know and love, tell them. You just, let's talk about that later today. Just tell them. Just lean over and tell them. If you're uncertain right now that the kingdom of God lives in your heart, that you've truly been saved, that you've truly been saved. You say, like, I'm not even 100% sure, and I need to settle that today. Would you just slip your hand up real quick? I'm not embarrassed. I'm not shy. I need to settle it today. I love boldness. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, the prayer doesn't save you. The intent of your heart to make Jesus Christ your Lord saves you. Just say this, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. I ask you to save me. Be my Lord. I'm ready to live for you. In Jesus' name. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.